Good morning. Before I, I want to add to our to the announcements. Uh, two two weeks ago, my son Trevor and I went to Whidbey Island because Jeremy Pryor was there with his family. Jeremy Pryor is who is going to be doing the family team seminar in, over the weekend. And uh, I didn't really know Jeremy Pryor, but I've seen the fruit of his, uh, the things that the Lord has shown him and that he's written about in my family, in Trevor and Danielle and raising their kids. So I wanted to go meet him and ask him some questions, which I did. Uh, if you haven't thought about this much, or maybe you're hearing about it the first time, if, if there's any way that you can make it to that seminar, it's called Family Teams, I, I want to encourage you to do that because as, as was being talked about our children, uh, we need help <laughs> uh, as far as just anything that will help us to understand a biblical family and then put in place practical ways that we can raise our kids or our grandkids. So that's the first thing. The second is we have an hour of prayer meeting every Saturday from 8 to 9. One is here and one's virtual. If there's any way that you can commit yourself uh, to coming and praying for our church. Every Saturday, we make an hour. My house should be called a house of prayer. In fact, yesterday, our, our text was that very passage. Our, my house should be called a house of prayer. So there are a few of us that gather. I would love to see that grow. In that it's a Saturday morning, it's 8 to 9. I know that maybe that's not the best time, so you can't do that. But if there's any way that you could be making that hour in praying for our church, because if we can beat the devil in prayer, we got him beaten on every other level. So if we can be praying, and I, when we get together, that's, that's, that is really my favorite prayer meeting, my favorite meeting hour, because I know that when we bow our hearts before the Lord, we just read a chapter of the, and we pray. When we're doing that, that's the most powerful thing that we can possibly do as far as the church before God, before his throne of grace, and pray for what God is doing here. And we spend most every Saturday in, our, in, the, in the gathering in our fellowship hall, our children come up, our youth come up, our families come up to pray before the Lord and ask him to help us, ask him to move. So just think, give that some thought. I would, I would love to see that, uh, just more people coming and joining us. So we are in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to read the first nine verses. Would you stand in honoring God's word? I'll read it, we'll pray, and then we'll look at what is a difficult passage this morning. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, they become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And here's the difficulty. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from, blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Thankful for verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner. So Lord, we're thankful again for your word. Sometimes there are hard things to read. Sometimes there's these convictions 
Sometimes it's just a beautiful melody. Whatever it is, Lord, we know that your word is alive and powerful, and we know and understand that it is our spiritual food by which, through the Holy Spirit, we can grow. So I ask, Lord, this morning, the things I prepared, break them fresh, feed us, Lord, we're hungry. Holy Spirit, take charge right now over our hearts, our minds. Convict, rebuke, exhort, whatever we need this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are willing just to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that you can do the things that you want to do as only you can do them. So come, minister the word, I pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. So as we know, I've shared this almost every introduction, that the book of Hebrews focuses our full attention on Jesus, our great and forever high priest. And the idea here is that's being emphasized over and over again in my heart, and I trust through the Holy Spirit, that I would know him, that you would know him, that you would moment by moment understand that there is a living relationship going on with him in heaven for you who are now and me who are on earth. We have a great high priest who is doing work now. We, we do well to apply the cross and what happened, what Jesus did. But right now, today and every day, moment by moment, we can know. And then we hold fast to the confession. Because without wavering is what it says in Hebrews. For he who promised is faithful. We got we to gotta hold fast to that. That God is faithful when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So trusting in Jesus is our salvation from sin, death, and hell, past, present, and forever. Obeying Jesus is our safeguard against regressing back into sin and unbelief through obedience. And then looking to Jesus, and this is all Hebrews, a simple outline, looking to Jesus is our endurance and encouragement for the race that's set before us. It's Jesus. He is our great and forever high priest. So I'm, I want to encourage you this morning, in, in the context of this difficult passage, come to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. Come in humble repentance and faith, and he will show himself faithful time and time and time again forever because he is our forever and great high priest. His promises, it says that God's promises are yes and amen in him. He is God's answer for life, having life and living life. So this morning... Our main focus is on verses 4 through 8. But if ever there was the importance of context, it is this text. It's said that a text without a context is a pretext. So for this morning's outline in chapter 6, I have it as this. If they fall away, and that's the main theme, the main idea of this ideas of this chapter. There are three. Let us go on. We talked about that two weeks ago. Let us be warned. We'll talk about that this morning. And then let us be diligent. Now, I was proud of Pastor Ron. He grew up in this church. I don't know if you know Ronald Warren, but he shared last week. I just could sit here and be fed by it. It was fantastic. This morning, we're going to focus in on verses four through eight. If we have time, we'll run through the final few verses because they wrap it up for us. But this, it, this text here 
if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. So let us go on, verses 1 through 3, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. In other words, understand three things that he brings up here in leading up to this verse 4. Number one, not laying again the foundation. What is that? Our personal relationship with Christ was to repentance and faith. Foundational. Secondly, our place in the body of Christ is foundational. We're all members of the body of Christ. We've been baptized. The doctrine of baptism is laying on of hands. We've been baptized in the body of Christ. We were born by the Spirit of God. And these things are foundational upon which we, will, we need to be building and growing. And then the final third one, where he says of resurrection of eternal judgment, is our position at the judgment seat of Christ, that we will give an account for our lives, not salvation, but an accounting of what we did because we are saved, we are redeemed. There needs to be, the, there's going to be this examination, if you will, at the judgment seat of Christ. And this verse 4, verse 3, he says, and this we will do if God permits. So running up to this verse 4, he says basically, and he says this we will do, he includes himself the author, because we need God. Would you say amen to that? If, if we don't have God, we're not going. That's what Abraham said. Hey, if you don't go with us, we're not going. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to, these foundational things are ours through Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We're in the body of Christ. We will give an account for our lives. And we need God. So if, it's not that God would hold back as I'm going on. God's not trying to hold me back. But what he understands is that God knows I'll not go on so long as I'm holding back. I got to be all in with Jesus. So he gives these warnings throughout, the script, throughout this book. Do not neglect so great a salvation. That's chapters 1 and 2. Do not harden your heart in unbelief. That's chapters 3 and 4. Do not fall away to apostasy. That's verse chapters 5 through 7. We're looking at that this morning. We'll go on next week. Do not draw back in willful sin. Chapters 8 through 10. And in the final chapters, do not fall short in indifference. Verses chapters 11 through 13. So he's telling us there, don't hold back. Be all in with Jesus. Are you all in this morning in our lives? That's not flawless at all. How many would say amen to that one? <laughs> We're all in. I'm all in. In fact, when I came back to the Lord, my friends in New York, I had to leave New York. My friends in New York said, ah, that's just Kevin. He's always 150%, but pretty soon there'll be something else. So pretty soon he'll get over it. Hey, it's been, I don't know, how many years? A lot of years, 30, 40 years. 40, yeah. Yeah, 40. <laughs> See, that's what happens. I mean, it's not without flaws. <laughs> Can't even remember my name. Hey, do you find yourself today more in than you were five years ago, five months ago, five days ago? We're all in with you. There is no other answer. There's no other helper. It's God or, or we're in trouble. And so the, these warnings are necessary. Part of what the writer of Hebrews is talking to us, when he's talking in context continuously, we have a great high priest who is seated for us at the right hand of God. And I say, if you're all in, I'm all in. And Jesus is all in. So let us be warned, verse 4, for it is impossible. 
Now, you know what impossible means? Impossible. I actually had some shirts made up a while ago, and I just remembered them. And I put him possible, just H-I-M-P-O-S-I-B-S-S-I-B-L-E. I got these shirts. I thought, man, I should start a clothing line. Impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. So you put the H in front of it, and it's all possible in Christ. But he said it's impossible. And so this is a difficult passage, to say the least. I would like to just kind of pass over it. <laughs> Thankfully, we have the Passover to remind us we don't have to pass over it. So maybe we should say this is the, an unexplainable impossibility or an unexplainable enlightened impossibility. I like to just say this, go figure. Go figure it out. Tell me what you come up with. The question raised in these verses, and maybe some of you are tired of talking about it because you've wrestled with this for many years. Maybe some of you this is brand new. But here are the three questions. Person saved, never saved, or no longer saved? That's the question. Who's he talking about in this context? Now, Charlotte used to say, this first time I heard it was from you. I don't know if it's your quote or not. Opinions are like noses. Everyone has one. And I have my own leanings, which I know will leak out this morning. When it comes to my opinions, I hope in my, not only this morning, but in my conversation and discussions, that I will note them as my own opinion in trying to discuss these things and understand. And I think it's important to do that, to wrestle with some of these things. Many of you have your own leanings already. If you agree with the things I say, then we can agree agreeably that we're both right. <laughs> if you disagree with the things here shared, then I hope we can disagree agreeably that we are both at least part right. <laughs> Rick, you not know, that, that's, a, that's a very sincere amen. I'm not going to pretend that I know or understand many of these dynamics because I don't. The best approach to theology that I know, I put into a little poem to myself. It goes like this. I'm very content and joyously free to let God be God and let me be me. In other words, I, God is infinite, I'm finite. God is the creator, I am the created. God is eternal, I am not. God knows the end from the beginning, I cannot. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, and I say, so you go figure them out. So if you are new to this discussion, to simplify it, there are two basic persuasions, the Arminian and the Calvinist. I have a few of these uh, small pamphlets that Pastor Chuck, my pastor from Costa Mesa, now with the Lord. It's called Calvinism, Arminian is in the Word of God. In this, he very simply, basic discussion about these two theological 
And, that, and, and it's simplifying it, and I understand that. You are welcome if you want to have one, but only if you'll read it. I'm going to read this morning. I want to read at the end where he summarized it, and maybe that will be good for you. It's a main emphasis that I heard many times when I was in Costa Mesa five years and, and listening to Pastor Chuck teach many times. This, this very, his, his approach to these things came out. I want to read that. But what I find is that this is scripturally solid. It's beautifully balanced, and it's graciously gracious in how to deal with these, not only this one, but other theological things. So to simplify, because here, here's what came to mind as I'm preparing. John, at the end of his gospel, wrote this. And there are, many, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. If this might be said of the centuries-long debates and discussions about Calvinism and Arminianism. If they, were written in a, if they were written in a book, the world couldn't contain it. So in other words, what I'm saying is, we're not going to end the debates. I'm not going to end the debates. I'm not going to solve the problems. They're going to continue. So for me this morning, if I can communicate some of these things, I hope it's not dry and boring in that sense. I hope it's not, oh man, I've heard this so many times. But what I hope that you'll walk away with, that I'm reminded of continuously, not just about this. We need to be able to have fellowship in understanding there are things that we will indeed disagree on, have different persuasions on, but the whole thing that God is working on in our lives is how do we love one another in the context of the things that we're wrestling with as believers. An attitude. Pa Pastor Chuck wrote this in this pamphlet. Since the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, Christian churches and leaders have disagreed over such issues as depravity. These are all entangled in these discussions. Depravity, God's sovereignty, human responsibility, election, predestination, eternal security, and the nature and extent of the atonement of Jesus Christ, unquote. So when in discussions on these positions, I like to just ask, do you have any questions? Oh, yeah, I got a lot of questions. I said, then I'm good. Let's talk. Let's have a discussion. So let's talk about the acrostics. The, the Calvinist is tulip, which is total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. That's well known. Now, the Arminians have their own tulip, but they call it a daisy. So their acrostic is daisy. Diminished depravity, abrogated election, impersonal atonement, sedentary grace, yieldable justification. That's not as well known, but they did answer that with their own acrostic. So I will leave these things to your study if you're interested. If you're not interested, no worries. Because we're not secure in tiptoeing through the tulip. We're not secure in pushing up the daisy. Our assurance and security is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the things that I don't understand, I can lay them at God's feet and say, Lord, give me uh, for further information, for further fellowship, for further discussion. So in this, to simplify, the Calvinist, John Calvin, believes that it is impossible for a person to lose their salvation. The phrase, once saved, always saved. 
if God saved you for all eternity, then God must have saved you from all eternity. That's simplifying the Calvinist. The Arminian, Jacob Arminian, Arminius, believes that it is possible for a believer to lose or fall away or forfeit their salvation. So you got that in your mind a little bit. So at the risk of oversimplifying these discussions, a Calvinist would focus on the sovereignty of God. The Arminian, in other words, God is given complete, complete control. The Arminian will focus on the responsibility of man. That man has a free will and a free choice that's real. So, Pastor Chuck would say, and I would say the same thing. Which side do you want to argue? I'll take the other side. <laughs> you see, I, every year I try and read through a thick theology book because it's just fun. And so I'm just, I just got through this whole area. And there are pages of Scripture for both. There are. The Bible teaches both. An illustration that I love, I've probably shared this before, the idea of train tracks or tracks. That there, are, there is these two parallel truths laid out for us in God's excellent word. They're there. And on these two truths, my Christian faith can ride securely and safely in this life. The sovereignty of God running parallel with the responsibility of man. I must choose. I must make choices. So in my time-bound journey, and we're all bound by time, I look down the tracks, and it looks like these will eventually come together and intersect. But they never do, and they must not. Because these are two things that we cannot possibly understand in our finite thinking. We are limited to time. We're not eternal. We're finite. So we can only look ahead and seek to see, but we're riding through life. And as a believer, God is sovereign, and I have a responsibility. And as I ride those rails, I am secure. I understand that there's safety in believing these two things, though I can't bring them together as a human being. I can keep moving forward in letting God be God and knowing that God is my God. That God is God and he is my God. I rejoice in seeing the promises of God afar off, embracing them and confessing that I am a stranger and pilgrim on earth. That God is able to keep that which I've committed to him, my soul, until that day. What day? The day when my train runs into Celestial City, I get off and so shall I ever be with the Lord. Of these things, I am assured. In these things, I am secure. And for these things, I am thankful. Let me say that again. 
Of these things I am assured, and so can you be. In these things I am assured, in these things I am secure, and so can you be. And for these things I am thankful, and so should we all be. That God is God, and we are not. I love that song, and I asked Sophia if she'd sing it in the beginning, set, and at the end. Not but through Christ in me. Here, this is just one of the songs, one of the lyrics. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Powerful, true, personal. So I want to read, because I can't say it better. I want to just read the conclusion in this little pamphlet. And then we'll move into the scripture. Pastor Chuck writes this, it's not easy to maintain the unity of the Spirit among us on these matters. God's ways are past finding out, and the Bible warns us to lean not unto our own understanding. To say what God says in the Bible, no more and no less, is not always easy, comfortable, or completely understandable. But Scripture tells us that the wisdom from above will be loving and kind toward all, seeking the unity of the believers, not trying to find ways to divide and separate from one another. May God help us to love each other, to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. In difficult doctrinal matters, may we have gracious attitudes and humble hearts, desiring most of all to please him who has called us to serve him in the body of Christ. Discussion, yes. Disagreements, yes. Division, no. Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. When a particular position on the scriptures causes one to become argumentative, legalistic, and divisive, I question the validity of that position. I seek to embrace those things that tend to make me more loving and kind, forgiving and merciful. I know then that I am becoming more like my Lord. If you have come to a strong personal conviction on one side of a doctrinal issue, Please grant us the privilege of first seeing how it has helped you to become more like Christ, more Christ-like in your nature, and then we will judge whether we need to come to that same persuasion. Let us always be certain to look at the fruit of the teaching. Seek those things that produce the loving nature of Jesus in our lives. I would rather have the wrong facts and a right attitude than the right facts and a wrong attitude. God can change my understanding of the facts in a moment but it often takes a lifetime to affect changes of attitude. Yours in love, Chuck Smith, unquote. Let us be warned. That's where we're focusing. So he says it's impossible. This is a very strong expression. It's used elsewhere in Hebrews 6.18. It's impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 10.4, it is not possible that blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to God must first believe that he is, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's a strong word. It's impossible. For those, so he's going to describe, 
who, number one, were once enlightened. That means in the language, a single event, who were once enlightened. In other words, they received the light. <laughs> I just flashed on my, when I was in California, there used to be a guy, a guy there who'd say, Brother Day, have you seen the night? Okay. See, this is what happens, yeah. <laughs> they were once enlightened. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 2 Corinthians, for it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the grace of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Context there, he's talking about the gospel. Responding to it. So they, they were once enlightened. They received the light. Second thing, and have tasted the heavenly gift. So tasted is the same word used of Jesus in having tasted death. In other words, experienced it. Went through it. And become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, as you know, in chapter 3 of John, said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, must be born again. It says, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. We became partakers of the Holy Spirit at rebirth. We were born again by the Spirit of God. We were baptized in the Spirit, baptized in the body of Christ. We have this living relationship through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, presence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. For chapter 6, verse 5, And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. First Peter has a good cross-reference, I believe, on this. In First Peter, by the way, tasted the same thing, experienced it. God's goodness, God's power. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. So he's connecting those same things, the word of God, the gospel. So my persuasion, my opinion, if you will, my leaning, when I look at these these descriptions, is that these are believers. They've done, these things have happened in their life. People born again, what we would call Bible-believing, spirit-filled, loving, and living for Jesus Christians. So I'll leave that with you. I hope it doesn't get in the way of the rest of the things the Lord has for us this morning. Verse 6, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. So if they fall away, again, this is a strong word. It's used only here. Listen, in the New Testament, only here, only time. It means to abandon. It means to deviate. It means to leave or turn aside. If they fall away, if they abandon, if they deviate, if they leave or turn aside. What would that be? As I look at this and as I wrestle with it, it seems to me these are, they've left their Christianity. They've left their faith. They were numbered among the followers of Christ, but have abandoned, deviated, left or turned aside from that company. 
Now, I'll hit this in a moment. I believe we're talking about an extreme here, and we'll look at that in a moment. It says to renew them again to repentance. So the emphasis on repentance, it does not read they cannot be forgiven, but repentance always precedes forgiveness. So they, it's impossible they, they cannot be forgiven or restored. And now it's going to help when it says, when we look at this since they, and then two things. But that since they, to note, it does not really correspond to anything in the Greek text. It's simpler than that. It has the context, really, the understanding as, I, as best as I can have studied it, that while they, or as long as they are doing these things, there can't be repentance. And that makes total sense to me. You can't be opposed to Christ at the same time be living for Christ. So there's that, that simple, they, they would have to have a change of heart and mind if there's going to be repentance. As long as they are persisting in their attitudes about Christ in this manner, there is, there is no, there can be no renewal to repentance. So what, did, what, are, the, what are the evidences? I believe there's two here. Number one, there's personal and there's public. So they have personally for themselves numbered themselves with those who have taken their stand among those who crucified Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then the second, put them to open sh and open shame. They have publicly numbered themselves with those who have taken their stand against those who confess Christ as Lord. So I believe there's two things that he hits here. The personal and the public. Evidence. The writer now gives an illustration from nature. In verse 7. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings, blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. So the same rain often comes upon it with differing results. One bears herbs that are useful, the other bears thorns and briars which are useless. The one is cultivated, the other is cursed. The one receives blessing, the other is rejected and near to being burned. So let us be warned, as best as we can take these things to heart, let us be warned. Context of the chapter in context of the book. So my question to myself, to us, what are we to make of this? How are we to interpret this passage? I offer you my own acrostic, if you don't mind. It helps me remember the differing views on this passage. And there are differing views. So I offer this to you as something to put on your wall if you want or whatever, when you're looking through these things, if it even is interested in doing that. Here's the five different things that are brought to the forefront as far as views. I'm sure they're not exhaustive. Here they are. Fruit of believing, that's what it's talking about. The apostasy from believing, that's what it's talking about. Insincerity in believing, that's what it's talking about. True believer or hypothetical believer. So let me give you these 
fruit of believing. The warning is concerning the fruit of salvation, but not salvation itself. So impossible to do them again to repentance, but not salvation. It is rejected and near to being cursed. So the person, the fruit of a person's life, the fruit is burned, the land is not. The illustration of the land being burned was actually so that the land might become useful again. It was, in agricultural terms, a necessary and good thing so as to start over. There's a little hopefulness in this. Things that accompany salvation. That is speaking not of salvation, but of things that come with it. So I offered this passage to, to support this uh, fruit of believing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, now if anyone builds on this foundation, that's Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work. So he's saying, it's, it's uh, Paul's saying, it's going to test. There's going to be this fire of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, gold, silver, precious stones, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but notice, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Second one, apostasy from believing. The warning is to Christians abandoning their salvation. If they fall away, they've abandoned the faith, turned their back on Christ. So just as a person must will to be saved, that person must continue to will to be saved. Since they crucify again for themselves and those things. Speaking of a Christian who's now taken a stand personally and publicly against Christ and against Christians. Whose end is to be burned. You can apply that. Third, insincerity in believing. The warning is to those who are never really saved except lip service only. So once enlightened, they were, there was a moment of light and once, a once of a kind, one kind of, once of a kind thing. Become partakers. Again, explained as having partakers. And again, remember, I'm, I'm just giving you some views here. Explained as having partaken a little bit. They sort of tasted in that way. The heavenly gift, the word of God. They tasted but never digested. Never ate it. Never really took it in as their own. The idea they dabbled in Christianity, were curious but never committed. They only seemed to have been Christians but never really were, is one view. Now, so then you have the true believer. The warning is to those who are saved and know Christ, do not fall away. Do not find yourself opposing Christ and letting your heart go into those thoughts and those intentions bitterness, and being offended at God, and those kinds of things. The author of the book of Hebrews is writing to believers. The final one is the hypothetical believer, which to me, in my case, the warning is no warning at all. If it's just hypothetical, it doesn't really have any grit to it or any weight. So are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, good. <laughs> I got to keep you... The problem is this, brothers and sisters in the Lord. We cannot know a person's heart. 
we can see the fruit of their lives. And we, I believe, are to be fruit inspectors in that way. But we cannot know a person's heart. We can't even know our own heart. That's what the Bible says. We need God to search us. And so as we deal with these things, we're going to try and define them, explain them according to some persuasions. But we must keep in mind, the question raised is this. Was he saved? Was she saved? No, he was never saved. She was never saved. Oh, no, no, no. She's no longer saved. He's no longer saved. And we're trying to explain something from what we can see, but what we lack is being able to see the heart and explain that. And thus, I believe that God's left it in this kind of situation. We're in a situation where it's not our job to judge their hearts. I'm not to judge another person. In fact, Jesus said, I must first get the plank out of my own eye. In other words, understanding that I personally am accountable to God for my life, and they are accountable to God for their lives. I believe we must admonish one another. We must speak the truth in love. We must do this because we want to grow up. We want to see our loved ones growing up. And so these are part of what we are to be doing. Keeping in mind that that person's heart before God is what matters. And how they're dealing with these things and walking through these things, we're to come up alongside and support them and help them as best as we can. Leaving these things to God as what's going on and how he's working in their lives. You know, the, the last time I taught these verses, which was a few years ago, I received an anonymous note that I, that I want to share with you. The reason being, it was anonymous, but the reason being that I think what this person writes, he or she is not alone in writing it. I believe that some of you here this morning might have written the same note. And I want to tell you that my heart goes out to you, but more than that, God's heart goes out to you. And I want to say again, we've got to continue to go back to the cross where the heart of God was displayed. Here's what I've done for you. So this person wrote, please ask for God's inspiration when you teach this verse. It is impossible to restore them. I've given up hope of salvation because of it. It seems to fit me exactly. I will listen to see if this is true. Nothing but fear knowing my ultimate destination. I want to say to you, I want to boldly say to you, the fact that you wrote that note, the fact that in your heart you're wrestling in the same way, the fact that you've come to church, you've come to hear the word, you come honest about your fears, honest about your heart things, 
I would say it tells me this may well be the condemnation of the devil, but it certainly isn't the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, the con- and believe me, we're all subject to it. <laughs> the condemnation of the devil drives you from God, separates you from God, whereas the conviction of the Holy Spirit draws you to God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit has you wanting to seek God and find Him and know your need, knowing your need for Him in brokenness. Come, God, I have no other place to go. To whom shall I go? Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. So if this passage is talking about Christian, a Christian losing their salvation, abandoning the faith, then this person is an extreme case in that she has now, he or she has now personally and publicly rejected Christ when once they knew him. That's extreme. To vehemently oppose Jesus and Christians. And this has happened. I don't remember the name of the guy, but the Billy Graham of Canada several years ago who was used by God. In fact, they said he would be more used by God than Billy Graham. And he actually wrote a book denying the whole thing after years. Anyone remember his name? Of ministry, the gospel. Extreme. When they want nothing to do with Christ any longer. When they publicly denounced and discredited Christ in every way detesting everything that they once believed. That's extreme, and I would hold that to this passage. But then I would ask, this, in, in this description, as this woman is, or man is wrestling with this, does that describe you this morning? Listen, I'm not saying, I didn't ask, does, did that used to describe you? Because many of you here were opposed to Christ. We're hating, we're, we're in that condition. That's a used to be, but not now. Today. If these things were true, this detesting Christ, and all, it, you would not be in the building. Now, if perchance, maybe watching privately, or maybe you're here, and that is exactly where you're at. You don't want anything to do with Christ. You want nothing to do with the Christian faith and Christian stuff. Then my heart goes out to you as well, as does God. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. And I would admonish you, I would exhort you, come to Christ Understand that you are under condemnation, not because Jesus came to condemn you, but because he came to save you. You were already condemned in your sin. Is there, other, is there another avenue that's going to give you the answers? There is none. I would plead with you, we would plead with you, come to Christ in repentance and faith and receive him as your Lord and Savior because there's a warning that goes in not believing. And Jesus said, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. That's the truth. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. 
<laughs> Turn the page, baby. <laughs> we are, and so what he's saying is, we see the fruit of your Christianity. We see your works. We see what you're doing. These things that accompany salvation. But beloved, I love it because this but beloved, the only time the writer uses this expression and how much more fit than in the context of this chapter. But beloved, we've seen the evidence of Jesus in your life. We desire each one to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So I would say, as he wraps up this, what he's saying is faith and patience, faith and patience. Stay at it, stay on it. Don't fear that God's given up on you. Believe him. He is our great high priest and we can come at any time. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. He, don't listen to this. He's not for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? He is for you. And through faith and patience, look to God and believe that he is for you, not against you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered, delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? I am persuaded neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We're going to go to the Lord in, in worship. Listen. By faith and patience, Keep your heart anchored behind the veil in Christ. This anchor that we have is not from Walmart. <laughs> Amen? Let's sing this song. Would you stand? And let, I, I'm going to encourage you just right now in, in this message, let's just worship him according to the words in this song. And I'll come up and we'll close together.